This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Ever see an untucked button-down? They look bad. Why? Well, because they weren't meant to be worn that way. Thankfully, there's Untuck It, the original button-down shirt actually designed to be worn untucked. No matter your size or shape, Untuck It shirts always fall at that perfect untucked length. With more than 50 fit combinations, Untuck It shirts look great on tall, short, slim, and athletic guys of all ages. Like, I'm 6'5", so it's hard to find shirts that fit me well and then also kind of fall at that perfect length when I'm trying to go untucked. Now, with Untuck It, you can choose from styles like wrinkle-free button-downs, super soft flannels, outerwear, and more. With Untuck It, your shirts will never look baggy, bulgy, too long, or too big again. And their website is so easy to use. They even have a whole page devoted to helping you find your fit. So whether you're shopping for the perfect gift or just trying to craft a smart, relaxed style of your own, Untuck It is the way to go. Visit UntuckIt.com and use code BLUE for 20% off at checkout. That's U-N-T-U-C-K-I-T dot com and promo code BLUE for 20% off. Golden Edge Podcast is sponsored by SDN Sports from Station Casinos. SDN Sports is the only sports betting app you need this season. Sign up today and get a new sign-up bonus of up to $50. What is up, hockey fans? This is the Golden Edge Podcast. We got our review journal crew in here in studio to talk all things Golden Knights hockey. I'm Ben Goats, joined by my very great colleagues, Dave Shane, who is currently yawning because he's so hyped about the hockey, and Adam Hill. Guys, how are we doing on this fine Wednesday morning? Clearly, Dave is tired. Yeah, a little bit, but it's <laughs> it's gorgeous outside, though. That's true. That like, I, I, I almost feel like we should be like doing this outside, you know, like when the teacher says, like, we're going to go outside oh. and, you know, have class like for a next Friday. Bit. Yeah, 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 you know. Well, we could do that because the Golden Knights are off today, Wednesday, as we're recording this. What a segue, Ben. Thank That's you. brilliant. They just beat the New Jersey Devils 3 to nothing last night. We're going to talk all about how this team just is rolling right now. They've won 9 out of 10, some trends that we're seeing right now. Before we do that, I want to remind you that the Golden Edge podcast is sponsored by SDN Sports Mobile from Station Casinos. And today we are presented by Untuck It. Also, please subscribe, rate, review, whatever you do with your podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, etc. And follow all our coverage at ReviewJournal.com. We got some uh, great stuff up there, though. Unfortunately, we had some ill-timed stuff lately where, you know, wrote a nice Brandon Peary story and then he got sent down last night and wrote about how Robin Leonard was probably not going to wear his new goalie pads last night against the Devils. And then he wore his new goalie pads last night against the it looked Devils. looked pretty broken in, too. And it looked great. <laughs> I mean, it looked great both in terms of performance and in terms of style. I was a much bigger fan of those than I was his old Blackhawks pads. 
But we have more to talk about than just fashion today, even though I really do like to be the goalie pad fashion police. But we have to quickly get to the big news of the week. The Knights, as I said before, stretched their winning streak to a franchise record tying eight games before they lost to the Los Angeles Kings on Sunday. Then they rebounded against the Devils last night. They are still in first place in the Pacific Division. They are the fourth best team in the NHL because of this streak since Pete DeBoer took over. But the bad news. Right-wing Mark Stone is hurt. He is week-to-week with the lower body injury. And while the Knights have been rolling, their lead in the Pacific is actually only two points because the Edmonton Oilers are also playing really good hockey right now. And now the Knights are going to begin to stretch where they play 10 of their last 14 regular season games on the road. Dave, I'll start with you. How much do we think Stone's injury is going to affect this team and then also affect this kind of division race heading down the stretch here? I mean, short term, at least in the small sample size, I guess it hasn't. And they've still managed to score some goals. Nicholas Waugh, at least, has been pretty productive on that second line with William Carlson and Pacioretty. So they've managed to get through it, at least for right now. But yeah, long term, I don't know how that team can have Stanley Cup aspirations without essentially its best player, right? The guy who was, I think, tied with Pacioretty for... You know the points lead at the time of his injury or leading the team. I don't. I don't. He was leading the team okay. yeah, at the time of the injury. So, I, I mean, you just take the leading score out of it out of any team's lineup. I mean, obviously, it's gonna it's gonna have an impact. He he does so much defensively. He does so much emotionally. Uh, there, there's locker room impact, all those sorts of things. Uh, you know, Pete DeBoer made it pretty clear no surgery, and that he was expected back before the regular season. So, all of that's pretty optimistic. I mean, I, I'm not even sure exactly where the injury took place. It might have occurred at a couple different points in that game and then maybe played through it. We're not really sure. But from the the long-term standpoint, yeah, I, I, I mean, you would hope that the prognosis is, I guess, what what, what the outcome ends up being, you know what I mean? That, that he does come back before the regular season. Because I do think if they go into the playoffs with him hurt or him out of the lineup, I, I, you know... If you're the odds makers, that that's a big change, right? I mean, yeah, for sure. And, and I, th- I think you mentioned it, but you know, to go back over it, like, yeah, he's he was the leading scorer on the team when he got hurt, and offense might not even be his most important contribution between what he does defensively, what he does, you know, as as an emotional leader in the locker room, everything else. Like, this is just a very very important player, and you know, I, I would I would kind of argue the point a little bit of has it affected them short term? I don't think they've kind of looked like the same team. Uh, the Kings game, they certainly were, you know, fairly sluggish. I thought the Devils game, I didn't think they were that much better. They just played a bad team and had, you know, Leonard stopping everything. I, I, I think that they have taken a little bit of a hit short term. I, I would actually agree with that, to be quite, you know, to be fair. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I and they pumped a whole bunch of rubber on uh, Cal Peterson in the Kings game. And I, I remember I went back that night and I watched it again and it still didn't feel like they were like, just all over him, I guess, you know, you know, I mean, the shots were lopsided and whatever, but there was a handful of saves Peterson made. It, didn't, it just didn't feel like, it felt like one of those games that Jerk Lant would always talk about, like we didn't get to the blue paint. That's what, what that game felt like. And yeah, the, the devil's game a little bit too, to an extent, but, but they kind of found a way and it was Carlson who had the big goal in the, in the third period, I think to get them to two, nothing. You could see everybody kind of exhale. I think, you know, Leonard clearly won that game. We'll see. I mean, they they've at least managed to go two and one, right? Treading water. Yeah, yeah. They've kept their head above. Yeah. yeah. 
you know, so we'll see in the long term, though, because like I said, it's I mean, it's a huge blow. Yeah, no, we're going to have to see how it plays out here. You mentioned they're two and one, but that's against, I mean, three pretty bad teams. The Sabres are technically probably not out of it if you're a delusional Sabres fans. (laughs) To everyone else, they're probably much out of it. Kings definitely out of it. Devils, as Adam mentioned, definitely out of it because they were just so sloppy last night with a puck, a ton of bad passes, a ton of turnovers. They were trying to gift the Knights some goals at some point and then took the Knights a while to take advantage of that. But that's not what the schedule is going to be like moving forward here. They begin a five-game road trip starting Friday. They play at the Winnipeg Jets, who are competing for a wild-card spot, at the Flames, competing for a spot in the Pacific Division or a wild-card spot, at the Oilers, who, as we mentioned off the top, are competing, trying to chase them down in the Pacific Division. So these are games where Mark Stone would be very, very helpful. And I think one of kind of the interesting things that he does, and I know Dave, we've talked about this, is he just affects how the team plays. I mean, William Carlson and Max Pacioretty were both great against the Devils last night, but their line has to play a different way without Mark Stone because Stone just does things on the ice that helps those two guys out so much, and they form as, I mean, Pete DeBoer called them like a top, top elite type of line. Max Pacioretty mentioned earlier in the year playing with Mark Stone is different in in certain situations because you – have to anticipate that he's going to make a play that most people don't. He, he talked like when the puck's in the air on the wall and things. Max Pacioretty has to anticipate that puck going the other way because Mark Stone's going to knock it out of the air. He's going to poke it away from somebody. He's going to turn it over. As a player, you have to anticipate those those sorts of things. That That's sort of the chemistry, I think, that those two have developed um, You know, going back to last year and then, and then into this year and why their line has been so good. You know, just little things like that, little things that, that Max Pacioretty is such a talented player picks up on, you know, with Mark Stone. But but to your point, yeah, it changes it changes the dynamic, it changes everything. You get chances out of nothing. And now all of a sudden, you know, the chances to to like maybe your point, Adam, that they've come much harder in the last couple of games. And 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 again, they put a lot of shots on the Kings, but I didn't feel like there were a lot of quality shots and it felt like there was a lot of quicksand in that game against New Jersey for for a while, where they were kind of slogging through it a little bit. They got the one nothing. I thought they played well. I was actually really impressed the way that they played in the third period, and that was clear evidence of not sitting back on a lead, even when it got to two nothing. Yeah. That they kind of kept the pressure on the Devils and and weren't going to let them get into the game. Kind of offense is the best defense, and and things like that. But you know, not to belabor the point and. To what you said, Ben, it's a tough road trip coming up. You know, it's it's five games against, you know, all teams that are right there, you know, in playoff contention or in playoff spots. And then a lot of likely opponents for the Gold Knights, right. too. I mean, we take off, you know, the Jets, the Oilers, uh, the Wild is going to be part of this road trip, too. I mean, I guess you could throw the Avalanche in there, too, if the Knights end up advancing. The Flames, those are five teams that uh, very well the Knights could play in the postseason. So that makes this road trip intriguing for all sorts of reasons. Right, and then you've got a back-to-back coming in there. So, you know, there's two back-to-backs coming up, the Calgary-Edmonton one, the Dallas-Arizona one. So, you know, those are the things, and we'll talk about the goalies and, and that, but, you know, those are kind of the situations. You go and you get a Robin Leonard for here down the stretch, so you have those back-to-backs, and you can play Marc-Andre Fleury and come back with, you know, Robin Leonard or vice versa or something like that. I'm sure it's a, they've used that word luxury, a lot, you know, I'm sure Pete DeBoer feels like it's a luxury, you know, to be able to come down here, the, you know, to the stretch here and just find the hot guy. 
Absolutely. And we are going to talk about those goalies. But first, I want to talk about the other big story of the week. And I am not talking about our Zach Whitecloud podcast, which is going to be released Friday. He was just absolutely phenomenal, telling a bunch of great stories about his background, how he grew up, how he got to the Knights. Uh, I'm talking about, Dave, your sit-down with Knights general manager Kelly McCrimmon on a number of topics. There's a lot to get into in terms of what you guys talked about, but I'll just quick throw it to you. What stood out to you the most from your conversation with him? I mean, there was a few things, to be quite honest. I mean, clearly the 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 coaching change, really, I don't think we're ever going to get like a straight answer from Kelly McCrimmon. I felt like you know, he gave maybe as close to that as as we're going to get when, when I asked him about it. You know, he felt like they lost their identity. And, and not only did he say that, you know, or, or, or actually let me correct that, he made sure to say that wasn't necessarily on one or two people, meaning Jared Glant and Mike Kelly, that that was on all of them as players, as an organization, as a front office, that, that everybody kind of just got too comfortable and, it was something that I think we had kind of speculated about a little bit. And, and I think everybody kind of felt like that was sort of the, the underlying, you know, I guess, reason behind a lot of it. And, and to hear him actually somewhat kind of confirm that to come out and, and really just kind of say, you know, it just, it just felt like everything had gone away from the chip on their shoulder way of playing and way that they looked at themselves in the mirror, you know, that first year that they had gotten away from that. And, and to me, what's it, what was interesting and what I wish, you know, if I had had more time and I would love at some point to be able to follow up, maybe look back on, I think some of those changes are actually on the front office and in terms of bringing in guys like Mark Stone, Max Pacioretty, Paul Stasny, um, some of these guys that, that maybe didn't have that same chip on their shoulder from their career and or played a different style. And, and I think they kind of evolved a little bit in that way in terms of playing style. I think that's a little bit on the front office, not necessarily positive or negative, but that's the effect of, of the off season. Um, so just, just the comfort level though, the, the way that he kind of said that, that it was an organizational, I think issue that they had just gotten away from who they felt like they were and had established in that, in that first year. Um, and then just some of the other stuff, you know, the goaltending situation, um, kind of how they view it, I think, right now. Um, and we'll, we'll talk about that a little bit, you know, as we get into that topic here a little bit also. But then, you know, just the defense, too. It really stood out to me the the way that he said Zach Whitecloud and, and his emergence kind of affected things like Derek England and, and his playing time and, and forced, you know, kind of Nick Haig to remain in the minors. Um, there's some salary cap. I guess ramifications issues with they basically can't afford to have Zach Whitecloud and Nick Haig in the NHL at the same time for salary cap reasons. So, you know, just to kind of hear those answers, I think a lot of people and, and I got some response that it just felt like those were some unanswered questions. It was nice to to be able to sit down with him and, you know, get a few answers, I guess, on those. And you mentioned you mentioned the identity, you know, part of this and that in that you know, you could you could say, well, changing coaches changes some of the dynamic and some of the culture, but like success changes that too. Like you can't be those same 
can have that same attitude, that same feeling. Like you're successful now. You're getting, you, you're bringing in new guys, but you're also, you know, you're not cast offs anymore. You're stars, and you're guys are getting paid. Yeah, you're getting paid. You get long term deals. Those, those were guys like that first year. Everybody was fighting for like acceptance and fighting for a contract, and now everybody's got those contracts. Like everybody that's part of the core is kind of locked up long term. Like they're not fighting for that same thing anymore. And I think they're viewed differently around the league now. Yeah. You know, they're they're not viewed as you know the plucky little expansion team. They're viewed as the team that went to the Stanley Cup Finals two years ago, and you know last year made the playoffs again, and you know took it to Game Seven and had it you know three nothing with ten minutes left in the third period. So the respect level that they get from around the league is different. They get, you know, we've talked about the Vegas flu and, and the effect they've they've clearly played better at home, but there was a long stretch there where teams were coming in here and they looked very comfortable on this ice, where the Knights, you know, that home ice advantage seemed to had gone away a little bit. So, uh, you know, all of that kind of, kind of, I think plays into, like you said, the, the identity, it changes you when you know you're good. You, like you said, you go from trying to prove something, you go from, you know, Hey, we're the misfits to, you know, that confidence level that Jonathan March so always talks about and that expectation level really, and, and having to, you know, live, live up to that bar that they've set. Essentially it's a high bar, you know, I mean, they walked in the first year and, and made the Stanley Cup final, and everybody kind of looked at them and went, you know, oh, you've got a 43-goal scorer, and Jonathan Marchessault's, you know, scored 30 goals in Florida and scores 78 points with the Knights, and, you know, every it just their whole image, all everything about them kind of changed. And I think what Kelly McCrimmon was kind of talking about is, is maybe they changed a little bit with that. Yeah, totally. And you mentioned that high bar. I think they showed – kind of the high bar they set for themselves with the moves that they made at the trade deadline. I mean, you get an Alec Martinez to stabilize your blue line. You get a Nick Cousins who you don't necessarily need, but is a kind of a nice depth luxury piece to have. Gives you a little extra grit for the playoffs. Then, of course, the big move was getting Robin Leonard to share the net with Marc-Andre Fleury. And so, you know, with your conversation with Kelly, I guess what more kind of insight or knowledge did you gain about how they kind of viewed this trade deadline and what they were hoping to accomplish yeah I mean I think you know there was a lot of speculation and and talk and even you know what I had reported you know like just kind of the defensemen and even after Alec Martinez whether they were sort of interested in that that was a question that I had sort of asked Kelly McCurman directly was you know as you went into Monday were you still looking at that position was that an area you felt like you still needed to get Short up because they were pretty open even uh you know a little bit before and then especially after the Martinez acquisition that that was an area that they had been looking at you know all year it had been talked about I don't think it was a big secret but the, you know they kind of came out and said yeah we need we needed to upgrade on the blue line but one of the things I thought was interesting was Kelly McCrimmon kind of said you know their scouting department and and staff basically correctly identified guys that weren't going to be traded. And, you know, we can talk about, you know, Tyson Berry and Dumba and, you know, Brodeen in Minnesota and all those guys. Petrie in Montreal. Right. That that basically the, the Knights just didn't want to waste their time finding out what was the price, is this guy going to move, whatever, that they basically I had figured out through, you know, networking or what, whatever goes into that job, that those guys weren't going to be available. And... Alec Martinez was the guy that they had identified as the one that they wanted. And that was in part why they went out and did it early. They didn't wait until Monday. 
They wanted it done. That was the guy that they had identified they were going to move on him. So from that standpoint, it's just kind of interesting to hear. It seemed like their focus went away from defense once you know they had acquired Alec Martinez. And it was interesting to hear him talk about Lanner and kind of the timeline. And he had said he had talked to Stan Bowman in Chicago a little bit you know, in the days leading up to that. But it really kind of, you know, I guess was solidified on that Monday, you know, right before the deadline, kind of right after Malcolm Subban had, you know, that iffy uh, last three minutes in, in Anaheim. I always, you know, I'm always going to wonder how much that just played into it and whether they were just like, that's it. That's the last straw. And, you know, call up Stan Bowman and be like, we're getting this done right now. Yeah, it's interesting because this is like the second year in a row where they've mentioned stuff has happened just the day of, like the Mark Stone trade. They've been pretty candid about saying, we did not know last year when we woke up, you know, February 25th, trade deadline day, that we were getting Mark Stone. And then all of a sudden the talks just picked up and it happened. And I think that's kind of, they try to keep themselves open to these conversations and they never shut the door. And then sometimes because of that, things just end up, you know, not falling into their lap because they've paid certainly a fair price for a rental goaltender in Leonard, but they're able to get stuff done um, because they're kind of organized and are still open to these things. And even Leonard kind of mentioned Toronto, it sounded like was real close, you know, on that deal too, or, you know, clearly the whole thing kind of went through, you know, from Chicago through Toronto back to the Knights and retaining salary and all that good stuff. I mean, they got super creative, uh, like Dominic from uh, Cap Friendly had mentioned to me. Um, so kind of neat to see all that. But yeah, I mean, it would have been interesting if, if Leonard and, you know, the Knights, I guess, had to had kind of duel it out, so to speak, with, with other teams for his services. I don't know. Or whether, the like you sort of described, whether the dust kind of settled and all of a sudden, okay, Robin Leonard's there, the Knights need somebody, and that's what sort of matched up. It, it'd be neat to be a fly on the wall or to bug, I guess, those uh, <laughs> those GM phone calls or, or see those texts and kind of how all those things come together. You know, maybe at some point we'll get GMs in the summer to, like, you know, give like the anatomy of a trade. Well, if or it was if it was like the that. XFL, they'd be mic'd up on everything. It would be <laughs> yeah, great. Fantastic. Yeah, it'd be or awesome. even Major League Baseball, right? You have like that's, the first baseman just breaking down the trade and <laughs> they're in the batter's box. Perfect. Uh I that would it. be awesome. Uh just one more thing I want to touch on before we uh we're just really gonna deep dive into the goalies, which we might do a lot on this podcast because we did it a lot last week too. But uh I'll start with you, Adam. How excited do you think Kelly McCrimmon is for the uh, new Henderson AHL team to come into town so he doesn't have to make poor Nicholas Waugh earn all those uh, Sun Country or whatever he's taking frequent flyer miles? Wow. I hope I hope they're not. Uh, you know, it's Sun Country, great airline. I don't know if they're a sponsor. I'll just say that. Uh, <laughs> I hope they're not sticking them on Sun Country. The The... I think that this is going to be good. I think you're, I think you're taking the wrong direction, though. I think they love it. I think they're like, go get to Chicago, let's go fly back and forth. I think they like putting these kids through this to try to test them a little bit. But in in all seriousness, it's such a, it's going to be such a luxury for this team to have an affiliate in town. We've seen all the moves that they've made this year. What is it, twenty five transactions now for Nick Wall? Yeah, back, they just Wall alone. It's insane. Uh, how much they're going back and forth. And a lot of that was salary cap manipulation and everything they're doing, but it makes it easier to have them here. And it just, I think it'd be more, much more comforting of just knowing like, all right, we've, we've got this roster flexibility 
of a of a team that's right in our city. We don't have to worry about logistics of traveling and all those other things. I think it's going to work out very well for them. And from a scouting standpoint, I mean, you want to go check out some of your some of your young players and how they're developing. It's like a twenty minute drive instead of getting on a flight and flying somewhere. So I, I think everything works out really well uh, in that regard. And I think that the organization is going to be thrilled with all the money they're going to bring in from having the team here and and owning it and and being a part of just the the larger larger Golden Knights franchise as a whole. Yeah, Dave, what was your kind of takeaway from talking to uh, McCrimmon just briefly about uh, the Henderson blankety blanks? Yeah, yeah, nice. I'm similar. I, I mean, I just kind of think of like the Cody Glass situation going on, and we still haven't really got an official, you know, injury update on that. But you know, he was hurt in Chicago, and there's this weird kind of crossover of like who's, I guess, responsible, you know, for updates and and for his care, his. You know, where is he at? What's going on? You know, clearly he's a Golden Knights player, but it, that goes away once they're here. Like, it's very clear they can just send him across town or he's rehabbing up the street or, or any of those sorts of things. All of that travel, all of the, you know, wires potentially being crossed, whatever it might be, because you're 1,800 miles away dealing with a whole completely different independently owned franchise. You know, I mean, that's the other thing, too. And I'm not suggesting that this necessarily happened, but, you know, the Wolves have their own interests in terms of filling a stadium and winning and doing business. They're independently owned. There's there's two people that that are, you know, trying to make money off off that that business venture and good. Good for them. Right. But they're right. But that doesn't necessarily mesh with the Knights interests all the time. And and so I think to have that in their backyard to be able to control that 100% because we know how much George McPhee and Kelly McCrimmon and that organization want to, you know, make sure that they have control over everything, you know. It, surprised they don't start a college program at this point. Yeah, and, you know, <laughs> invest in UNLV. To that point, though, that was one other thing that, that Kelly McCrimmon mentioned and I thought was interesting was just the growth of the game aspect of it and continuing to, you know, provide opportunities and, and ice time um, you know, clinics, practices, teams, you know, all whatever it is to to create basically hockey players and hockey fans in this in this town. That that's a major part of this. They're they're creating future Golden Knights fans. They're creating future hockey fans, and that's the biggest thing. I think, you know, there was a certain pride I I, I felt from Kelly McCrimmon that that there's that aspect of all of this that they get to grow the game. That that part of their job is different than say working in a market that's already ready-made, you know, that's already a built-in hockey market, say in Canada or whatever it might be that they get to do all this stuff with this new franchise and they get to basically turn a town into a hockey town, somewhat similar to the way George McPhee said, you know, DC kind of turned into, you know, a hockey town during his time with the Capitals. Yeah. No. And that stuff is huge. I mean, we obviously uh, hear from a lot of fans about the affordability or lack thereof of Golden Knights tickets in general. So this is, you know, potentially a chance for a lot of people that want to become hockey fans that want to see games live to see a more affordable product. And, uh, you know, especially for families, I think that's going to be huge. But now I want to turn our attention 
to Panda Watch. And that's like the first time I've ever been able to use that specific Anchorman <laughs> panda, reference. Panda, Panda, uh, because that's Ro- good. It, you're the quote designer. I like that. Yeah. It's solid. Yeah. Uh, we're going to do that yeah. because Robin Leonard has now made two starts for the Golden Knights. Last week when we talked about him, he had yet to make his debut. And he's been really, really good in both starts. He's 2-0. and He's got a 967 save percentage. Feels good. That sounds, sounds good. He's got a uh, goals against average that is one exactly 1.00, which also feels pretty darn good. And so I think because of that, uh, Adam, and I'll start with you because I think you're our resident Leonard guy so far too. <laughs> so far? To start this thing. Uh, I think the Golden Knights have to be a big fan of the way he's playing. I mean, how could you? You mentioned the numbers. Like, it's, it's obvious. Yes, it's two games. It's it's two games. We get it. We understand. It's two games. It's still very much a honeymoon period, too. Uh, there hasn't been any blow-ups, anything uh, negative on the ice to even point to. So uh, everything is he just going well He didn't embrace the right donut, now. though, yesterday. We did hear that from some fans. He, didn't, he didn't grab the inflatable donut as hard as Marc-Andre Fleury does. <laughs> he won the fans' donuts, and they're still complaining that he's not excited enough about the inflatable donut that's coming out that I will venture to guess, and I think there's pretty good basis for this that he had no idea what that meant <laughs> I'm, I'm sure i mean donuts are you know shut out whatever and he's like oh, okay why are you bringing this donut he didn't i don't think he understood that he just wanted everybody donuts so give him some time to embrace that and figure that out we'll see if he goes and gets the donuts today uh and enjoys them they'll probably have a video of that somewhere uh but yeah i mean i think what he's done on the ice has been has been great uh, there's there's no question about that uh and you know i i think he they brought him in in my mind you know, I I think that you know you hear Pete DeBoer say they have two starting goaltenders. Uh, I thought I don't think they brought him in to be a backup to Mark Andre Fleury. I thought they they brought him in to kind of have a competition to see who's going to be their starting goalie uh, potentially in the playoffs. And it seems like they're going to go back and forth and trade games and see how it plays out. Right now, Leonard is playing really really well. I think the trust level in Mark Andre Fleury is incredibly high. I think the you know we talked about Stone with the emotional leadership. Certainly, Mark Andre Fleury is that guy in the locker room. Uh, it would be, you know, it's it's going to be a competition, I think. But I, I think that there's also going to be some leeway uh, given to Mark Andre Fleury's side of this. Of Robin Leonard would have to be a lot better than Mark Andre Fleury to be the guy. But I do think they're going to have, you know, a pretty good back and forth and a pretty good, um, you know, stretch of games here to find out kind of who separates themselves. Yeah, it's going to be fascinating down the stretch run here because it feels like you know you kind of get whiplash between all these games where Fleury's first start after Leonard was acquired was maybe one of his best of the season. He shuts out the Edmonton Oilers who they're in their playoff race with, and that was incredible. And then Leonard comes back the next night and is really, really good against the Sabres. And then, you know, Fleury kind of doesn't play that well against yeah. the Los Angeles Kings. He's a reason that the Knights lost that game, and all of a sudden Leonard comes back uh, with his first shutout of the season 15th of his career. Yeah, but he wasn't excited about the donut. He wasn't excited about the donut. But that's like going to be just kind of this interesting subplot, you know, in every game this year of like, all right, well, Fleury didn't play well last game, and now Leonard's playing great. Like, what are you going to do for the next game? And I think the plan certainly seems to be that they're alternating, or at the very least, that they're deciding who is making these starts well in advance. And I, I do think the, you know, the fact that, that Pete DeBoer said that phrase, we have two starting goaltenders, I think you can't really be discounted. Like, he's not saying, you know, Leonard is 1B, even. He's, they have two starting goaltenders, and I think that that is a big thing to say. And if we think it's interesting now, like how this last, you know, 15 games plays out, this offseason is going to be very intriguing. Yeah, so let's talk about that 
a little bit because I know, you know, Dave, obviously we've talked to Kelly McCrimmon a little bit and we've heard from Robin Leonard. I mean, some pointed comments from Robin Leonard about how he felt he was treated with the New York Islanders last season uh, for whom he was a Vezina Trophy finalist and then was kind of let go without really much of a fight in the offseason. And then, yeah, he didn't feel like the Blackhawks, who kind of had him in a rotation with uh, Corey Crawford, treated him that well either. How do you think both he and the Knights are viewing this situation? Do you think, because they've certainly said with their words that he's a rental and that Marc-Andre Fleury is still kind of the guy right now. I mean, do you think in their heart of hearts and when they're actually kind of having their strategy meetings, do you think they view him actually as a pure rental or is he potentially a guy that they are going to try to keep around? I think right now that's how they view him as, as a rental. I mean, I think they've been pretty clear about it as close to being clear as they can, you know, like they haven't come right out and said it, but, but I mean, even Leonard kind of said like, I'm here as an insurance policy, you know, I, I just picture that, that commercial with like mayhem or whatever, like going through the, you know, golden Knights locker room or whatever. And Robin Leonard, like taking care of it. But I, I mean, I, I think it was pretty obvious that they just kind of gave up on Malcolm Subban and, and not to belabor that point. Cause we talked about that one, you know, at length last time, but they had an opportunity to get somebody right now, short term that gives them a chance to win the Stanley cup, whether it's Mark Andre Fleury in the net, whether it's Robin Leonard, they know that they have the goaltending to carry them, you know, through the playoffs, as long as everything else continues you know, the, the way that it's continued with expected goals and all of the underlying, you know, things that, that would, you know, have made them look so good and, and made them look like they're underachieving all year. So from that aspect, I think they're just worried about the now. And then they'll they'll get to the summer. And if the salary cap goes up, like it seems to be projected, I mean, it might go all the way up to like 88 million, I think we heard today. So if they get, you know, some extra room and they decide and Robin Leonard decides that it's a situation that he wants to continue in, then I'm sure they'll they'll revisit that, you know, when it gets to it. And then if they have to go, you know, make a trade uh, and or, you know, sign somebody else, whatever it might be to be a backup, then they'll they'll go down that path if they have to. I think this is just right now, short term, they feel like we have a team that can win the Stanley Cup. We As long as we get the goaltending, you know, we, we can make a run. So let's go get this guy. It's cheap. It's not going to cost us hardly anything in terms of draft picks and prospects. And then, you know, we'll get to the summer and figure it out. Because certainly when I asked about Kelly McCrimmon, or when I asked Kelly McCrimmon about it, he was kind of like, that's just, you know, not even a fair question right now. We'll see how it plays out and and, and whatever. So and I think it makes sense to not to not create any kind of drama you don't need to. Like right now it's like, hey, Flurry's the guy, Crawford or uh, Leonard's here and we'll, you know, we'll we'll see what we can do and see we'll try to make the team the best we can. You don't have to create any problems by coming out and saying like, "Oh, this is an audition for these guys." So I think it makes sense that they would say that uh for sure, but you are going to have to deal with as a team, you're going to have to deal with if they do do this plan down the stretch and they're, you know, they play 9 and 9 of those 18 games and Leonard is clearly the better player. Like, what kind of decision do you make? And then do you lose the team? Do you lose Flurry? Like, how do you kind of deal with that? Right. And that, t- to your point, that I think their play is going to create the drama. You know, yeah. it's not necessarily Kelly McCrimmon or somebody, Pete DeBoer, coming out and saying something or what, you know, it's their play, whether it's they're both really good and who do you choose from? Or if one of them clearly 
you know, establishes himself? Do you have, I guess, maybe, let's say the 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 wherewithal to to you know go with Robin Lanner if that's the case? Um, that's all going to get decided by their play, though. Yeah. And, and like you said, yeah. that's going to be let the drama. That, that that's going to be the drama. Their play yeah. is going to create the drama. Yeah. The, the words and whatever they say isn't necessarily well, going to do it. It's possible you bring Leonard in, and Flurry is really good down the stretch, and Leonard is just kind of like average, and like you could have created drama for no reason. So like just right. as you said, let let the drama yeah. be created by good play or bad play, one way or the other. And if there's nothing comes of it, then you don't have to deal with it, and you've never said anything, and you're not on record saying anything. I, I do think the other aspect of this is the flurry aspect though because you know we talked about Leonard's comments about Chicago uh, he was very frustrated that they kind of told him he would have an opportunity and they talk, kind of told him they'd negotiate long term and then didn't uh, and then he ended up on the bench Corey Crawford was the guy that was there in Chicago and he had some comments this week too that where he basically was like it's really hard to have two number one goalies like you come in and you're like I, I don't know if I'm playing today or if I'm not or if I'm the backup or the starter and then when you do play you want to you know, you, you feel like you're under pressure to make every single save because you're in a competition every day. Uh, Flurry has not said anything like that, and he won't. Maybe down the stretch, if you talk to him in a, you know, a couple of years, he's like, yeah, that kind of sucked for me. But th- that is the other aspect of this is that you do have a guy who now all of a sudden has quote-unquote competition that never had it before here, which he's dealt with in his career for sure, but not here. Yeah, and I think it's something that would be a huge adjustment for Flurry if they were to go forward with this. I mean, we've seen... He's played huge amounts of games for this team, and not just because, you know, I think a lot of it's that they need him to do that because they didn't have faith in Malcolm Subban, but I also think when Flurry gets on a roll, he likes to play yeah, four yeah, or five games said in a row. That. Yeah, he's exactly. been pretty open about he that. He doesn't, you know, so I think there's a chance where, you know, he has that shutout against the Oilers where he might not be all too thrilled that he plays fantastic against the Oilers and has to sit the next game, and so that's, you know, a dynamic to watch out for. And as Dave kind of hinted at, this has so many moving parts in terms of okay, how high is the salary cap going to go? It could go anywhere from eighty-four to eighty-eight point two million was the projections we heard today. I would guess it's going to stay toward the lower end because staying toward that lower end means players have less escrow, which they hate. But there's also the aspect of even if the Knights decide with the salary cap, hey, here we can afford to give Robin Leonard a fair contract is he going to want to sign said contract if he's once again in a 1a 1b situation which he has actively kind of admitted yeah wasn't really a big fan of that this year and he's a guy who's like I said, the last you know two years this year and last year played really really good hockey but yet he hasn't found a team that's really said hey we believe in you you're our guy and if there's another team that's not the knights willing to kind of do that for him and say forget 1a 1b you're just one is he going to take that even if you know the money or competitive situation isn't necessarily equal? I think that's a strong possibility, and that's a fair thing for him to want. And then if you're the Knights, there's also the point of, well, the expansion draft, uh, as I've seen um, other people mention on their blogs, so shout out to them. Uh, the expansion draft is coming a year from this offseason where Seattle's going to have its pick of the litter in terms of goaltenders because each team will only be able to protect one so are the Knights able to kind of say to another NHL team, hey, you're probably going to leave your backup exposed in the expansion draft in a year anyway. Instead of losing them for nothing, do you want to just take like a third round pick from us? So there's so much that's going to be you know open and available to both the Knights and Robin Leonard this offseason that as you mentioned, not only will the play dictate, but even after 
kind of everything said and done, whatever happens with the rest of the night season from here on out, there's still going to be so much that's going to have to play out before we get a resolution on the goalie situation. I think what it really comes down to, though, is that ultimately they just kind of decided that Malcolm Subban was not going to be the heir apparent to Marc-Andre Fleury. They were going to probably move on from that situation in the summer anyway. So this is a better stopgap, puts them in a better spot, and then they can, you know, revisit it in the summer when they were probably planning on doing it anyway. You know, if they weren't going to qualify Malcolm Subban as an RFA or, you know, whatever it might be. So it puts them probably in the situation that they anticipated that they would be in in three months, and now they have a better option, you know, possibly available to them if they decide to go that route and and sign Robin Leonard. We'll see. Yeah, it's going to be fascinating to watch this all play out the rest of the season it's getting down towards the end as i mentioned the knights have 14 regular season games left a lot of them are going to be high intensity because it looks like this division race might come down to the wire so make sure to follow uh dave at at david shane lvrj on twitter because he's going to be going to all these fun canadian games up in the great white north tim hortons baby absolutely uh make sure to subscribe rate review whatever you do with your podcast to this podcast on itunes stitcher spotify etc as i mentioned before we got a really really good interview with zach Whitecloud that should be dropping on friday i would highly recommend you guys listen to that he was a fantastic interview had some great stories some great things to say he's a really impressive individual also make sure to check out all our coverage at reviewjournal.com we got a ton of hockey content up there for you guys thanks to you guys for listening thanks to sdn sports mobile from station casinos for sponsoring us and untucket for presenting us we'll talk to you guys again real soon the panda 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 sugar ray leonard roberto duran marvelous marvin Hagler, and thomas hearns Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.